You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. This is Father Mark Boulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, Father Paul. So today's topic is an important one. It's dealing with a very simple but critical principle, and that is this idea of hope as a mindset. And it's important because very often when we look at the situation in the world, the oppression that downtrodden peoples face. There are a number of situations in which people find themselves where it's difficult to have hope. And when you think about hope in philosophical terms, in Hellenistic terms, where hope really is about winning, it becomes even harder because people's situations don't change, yet somehow they have to continue. And the first time I heard Father Paul talk about hope as a mindset, it caught my attention because without realizing it, in many ways, that's what I had experienced as a disciple of the Bible. So, Father Paul, I'm really anxious to hear you talk about this and excited to learn more about this concept. It is difficult because of the mindset, the Greek mindset, as you refer to it. And the Bible is coming from the mindset of shepherdism, shepherd life. And I'm going to begin with the end by saying that shepherdism in the Middle East, and I stress the Middle East, meaning in spite of all that's going on in the so-called nations and countries, shepherdism is still alive and well It is the families of its mammals that presents the human families with assuredness. So that's my last point. I'll come back to it. The thing in the Bible is that you have a story. That's also the trouble with our theology. We individualize and historicize. In other words, we impose our view on the biblical story. Whereas the story, as Paul stresses in the beautiful 11 verses of chapter 10 of his 1 Corinthians, he sucks the Corinthians into the biblical story. He does not read it to them and try to apply it to Corinth. He tells the Corinthians that their forefathers were in Egypt, not they, their forefathers were in Egypt, and then they went through the waters under the directive of Moses. Now, the Corinthians are going to tell him, well, our forefathers never were there. Our forefathers went to Troy and went with Ulysses. and But that's the point. Either you take the story as is, as I keep stressing, or you go your own way. But then if you do that, the noun, the term, the word hope, does not have the same connotation as the same word hope in Scripture. So let's keep this in mind, you know, and do the effort to understand. Now, I'm not expecting any of my hearers to agree with me because it's very tough. They want to keep going their own way. 
And as I used to tell my students, I'll tell my hearers, if they so choose, then I, even I, cannot help them when they come back to me in two months and say, Father Paul, you said. My answer will be, I said, but you didn't hear me. You keep asking the same question. At the end of my book, I give the great example of the French Dominican friar Xavier Plassard, who dedicate his life to, if not eradicate, he says eradicate, alleviate the situation of slavery in modern-day Brazil. And in an article about him, the end of the article, the writer is saying, the public's awareness of slavery will not soon disappear. International commerce, banks, and the powerful corporations that have joined the national pact may demand a dirty list that continues to be credible. Plassa understands that the situation is very serious. I spoke with him about the possibility that much of his work in Brazil could be undone. If that happens, I said, his strategy may still endure as a legacy affecting the lives of millions around the world. He replied that legacy does not matter to him. Direct action in the present time does. He says he will never return to France. His opponents had better know that about him. Whatever happens, Plassa will not be deterred. I remember how once in his speeding car, Plassa cut across a pasture, following the merest trace of a track through high grass. I asked, is this a footpath or a road? He said, it's a road, of course. He laughed. He looked over at me. He said, it is a question of faith. Now, this is what Plassa said. Now, one can set up the symposium to discuss his statement. <laughs> it's not going to affect what he's doing. He has been stamped by the biblical tale. You know, in the book, I stress the fact that the entire biblical story is already in Genesis 1 through 4. We have the promise of a new seed, the seed of the woman in 3.15 that is realized in 425 when Seth takes the place of Abel who was killed by Cain, the one who chose civilization over shepherdism. If one just hears this story, if one has been attentive, then one is already prepared to realize that the flood will not be and will not have the last word. That is why the author very cunningly puts the promise of a new covenant already in chapter 6, pointing to its realization in chapter 9, which means in the flood story we have, if you like, a similar tale as the story of Genesis 1 through 4. And you all heard from me the importance of the third time, and the third time when the story engulfs the entire spectrum of nations, we hear of Terah, who had three sons. One of his sons had children, you remember Lot. Another one, Abram, had a barren wife. Obviously, you as hearer are not expecting that something will be realized through Abram. But the promise was made to him. But then the promise is to all the families of the earth. And that's why that is the last promise for which we have all to wait, as Paul says in Romans 8. But the term families is very important, and I show this in the book. 
because the first time the term families appears, it appears during the flood story in conjunction with the animals. And the rule in literature is that the first time a word appears, it defines itself and you have to understand the following times that word is used in the light of the first time. And thus, we have to cease talking egocentrically as we do humans, that the mammals are like us, the human beings. No, my dear friend, we are like the mammals. Now, that's the biblical story. You can argue in the lab as long as you want against that. It's not going to change anything on the ground. And on this ground, there has been planted the seed of Scripture. Why do I stress this? Because it is not our hope that produces result, but it is the word of promise in the Bible. It is God who is faithful, or rather more precisely as we hear it in the Pauline letters, it is his word that is faithful. Pistos o logos, faithful is the word, not you. Your faithfulness is immaterial. It is the word that is faithful. That is why ultimately we shall be judged by that word. Now, if we take this seriously and the example I started with, Plaza, then we understand correctly what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4 after the episode of the Samaritan woman. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Let me repeat that, because we would like to sow and reap, or at least we want to reap. But the dig is that we are reaping the fruit of the sowing by someone else. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And you, in your turn, will have to do the same. So, in the biblical story, hope works on a straddle between at least two generations. It's not, I am born, I believe, and I reap this heinous eye, as we say. (laughs) No, but the result will be that the wood will be fruitful. Take the flood. It's the same people who passed the flood. But immediately after that, we have a curse that was introduced by Noah who survived the flood. So the hope is not in Noah because he has changed. But the word of God continues to produce. And the third example is Adam. And This reminds me how very early, I know ego is not good, but I have no choice but to share this example. I was a teenager, 16, and I was leading other teenagers or the youth movement. And until now, people who were there still remember my prayer. You know, I wanted to pray on the spot. And I made that statement, Lord, make it so that we never see the fruit of our labor so that we do not become arrogant. Let's hear it one more time. (laughs) Give us gracefully that we not see the fruit of our labor, 
so that we do not become arrogant and self-righteous. Just give us to hope in your word. And this is what we have in the story of the sower, which I have explained in all my books that it is the basic parable. In Mark, it is very clear that it is so. And all the other parables are subtunes on this. The sower went out to plant the seed, to sow the seed. In Greek, it's very impressive because both the noun seed and the verb sow are immediately from the same root. And then we have the story of the three different earths. But how many of us make the mistake to dwell on speaking about the good earth. My dear friends, and you heard this from me for 40 years, my dear friends, the earth does not produce fruit. It is the seed that produces fruit. If you plant an apple seed and you pray day and night to have a pear tree, you're not going to get it. It doesn't work that way. Now, will you have an apple tree? We don't know. And many of us have gardens around their houses. We don't know. But still, what comes out, comes out from the seed. And the seed is the word as Jesus himself explained the parable. This parable is very interesting because it's not the only one. Matthew has another parable that is also explained and it deals also with the seed in chapter 13. But still, it is important that Jesus gives the explanations, not the exegetes, not the scholars, not the fathers of the church. Jesus, the seed is the word. So the conclusion, as Father Mark, you said at the beginning, is a mindset. But let me finish by saying it's not a mindset you opt for. That's my fear of the phraseology, human phraseology. It's basically Greek philosophy. Buddhism is similar to Platonism. It's the same thing. You are speaking of your teaching or your science. That's why I liked Plaza's criticism of legacy. There is no legacy. <laughs> there is the word that in every generation has to produce. The older generations have to teach the teaching they have received. Whether they agree with it or not is immaterial to the biblical tale. You just hand it down, already written as scripture. So just Give people the Bible. Don't say too much because you're going to mess the story. And I'll finish by plagiarizing the words of Christ. He who has ears, let him hear. And hearing in the Bible is listening and thus living according to that. And if we don't want to do it, we can imagine that it's catastrophe. Trust me, it is not. How many times you heard me telling my students in the classroom, we'll never know. Perhaps the world would have been a much happier and nicer place. Have you not been around? But people don't like to hear that. So the hope is the scriptural hope. Scriptural meaning within the scriptural tale story. God promises 
And God realizes that is why Isaac came from Sarah, not from Abraham, because the text does not say that Abraham slept with Sarah as he did with Hagar, and Paul captured that by saying he was 100 years old. There's this beautiful passage in Habakkuk, Father Paul, that I think exemplifies the hope that comes from conformity to the text, conforming to what the text posits. But I love this passage, and I want to read it just because I want our listeners, many of whom have read scripture in times of distress to find encouragement. I want them to hear the verse in the context of the way you're describing hope. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places." reminds me very much of the example you gave. It has everything to do with the question of trust on the path and so forth. I just thought it was a really relevant text and I wanted to share it with our listeners, Father. Well, although your name is Mark and not Paul, but your master, the Apostle Paul, <laughs> referred to Habakkuk at the beginning of Romans. And we all know by now that in literature, especially in those times, when you refer to it at the beginning of the book, you're drawing the attention of the hearer to remember the entirety of the book. Early on in the book, we have the statement that the believer, the one who puts his trust by faith lives. And you just now quoted from the end of the book of Habakkuk. And that's how scripture works. So my last statement, I'll tell you why it's important. Because the hearer has to learn not to be impressed by your quotation of Habakkuk, but by the teaching of Scripture that it is so. It is actually impressive that the last chapter is underscoring what was said in the first chapter. It's just that's the way it is, and we have to continue teaching a la Scripture or a la Plaza, who lives Scripture. It is so. In thinking about this idea of hope that you're talking about, it seems so closely linked to what we talk about as faith, but as we know in Scripture, faith really is trust. And it seems like there's a close connection between the trust and the hope. Can you explain a little bit how those two might be linked? Yes. In the Pauline trilogy of faith, love, and hope, the sequence, as we have it clearly in Thessalonians, is faith, love, hope. Faith is your trust in whatever God is saying. And Paul, to continue the Pauline teaching, taught us the entire scripture is subsumed in the love for the needy neighbor. So your trust is not something that you say, I have. Let's go back to Paul. He says, I remember the work of your trust and the labor of your love. In the classroom, I used to say, Paul looks at your feet to see if you are doing what you heard. It's not, I have faith and you have no business to tell me if it is so or not. No, I have business, even if I'm an atheist. 
because I open your scripture and tell you you're not doing what it says. But this cannot be done once, twice, 13, as in confession you go three Our Father and three Ave Maria and three prostrations. and You have to do it. Remember, Luke, you have to bear your cross every day and you have to await. And this is where hope comes. And in all my commentaries, I have shown that the word el peace, hope, is more than once actually very often connected with hypomonie, which is translated as persistence, forbearance, patience. But when we hear it in the Greek, it's very interesting. We have the word epimonie from the verb to stay. The epimonie is to stay over. In other words, when you're studying, you keep at it. But the other one is ipomony. You keep being under it, meaning in spite of all the pressures. And you keep at it. And with this, I come to the famous ending of Ephesians, the compendium of all the Pauline letters, where Paul presents the panoply with which you fight as a defensive panoply. You don't attack with the sword because the sword is the gospel of peace but you defend yourself and the text very interesting it begins with that that you have to withstand in order to stand on that day this is how it works it's not that you attack and you are victorious let's go back to the text referred to by Mark in Habakkuk. It's not a victory over. It is the fact that you still stand when technically you yourself and the others are waiting that it won't work. Let me read it to you quickly. Finally, be put the armor of God and so on. And it says here that we have to withstand the aggressiveness of the enemy in spite. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And with this, I really have to go to the example of Plaza. This is what he is living Everybody is telling him, you know, will it work, will it not work? Everybody is against you and you may succeed today, but in one week it has no value. He said, that's not my business. My business is to bear witness to the faithfulness of the word today. So my answer to you is that this hope is linked not so much to epimony, to keep at it. It is to keep under it in spite of what comes against, whether philosophically in discussions or in actual persecutions. So I would say that even faith and love are not enough. And Paul says this nicely in Galatians chapter 5, where he says, For in Christ Jesus circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. Immediately after the verse where we hear, For through the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. This Galatians 5, 5, 6 is of the essence. 
actually turns it around. He speaks of hope, and then he reminds you that what you are doing on hope is obeying the Lord until you die or until he comes. Friends, it's against the grain, I'm aware of that, but uh, <laughs> it's not that it's exciting to be against the grain. That also is a temptation of the devil. No, you just repeat what scripture is saying. If you can learn scripture by heart, you start answering from scripture. Take the example of today where Father Mark just said in Habakkuk, meaning he said that my words triggered in his memory the words of Habakkuk. But then it's important to end with the statement of Habakkuk and not with my statement. Again, the Bible is anti-legacy. If it wanted to be legacy, it would have promoted what the Orthodox love to speak about, oral tradition. No, it's graphi, scripture, as it is written, as Paul says, time and again and again and again. Anyway, I don't think it is complex, but it is hard. And if you want to revisit, we can revisit. Most probably I'll come up with the same statements because scripture is scripture. Father Paul, if you came up with different statements, I would be disenfranchised like Habakkuk. <laughs> but I would still have hope. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Fantastic. Our hope should be in the Pauline statement, pistos o logos. Not our hope, but the faithfulness of God. And that's why I ended the book, which was the trigger of these podcasts, with a short chapter entitled, God's Faithfulness. So there you go. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Father. Take care. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate it. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.